You're listening to the sermon podcast of Galveston Bible Church. If you'd like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, please visit galvestonbible.org. But mostly, from wherever you're listening, we hope that the Lord ministers to you through this week's message. I don't know if there's anyone in here who has never felt like, man, I feel like I'm slipping away. And the words of that song are so precious because ultimately it's not you who is holding on to God, it is God who is holding on to you. And uh, John 10, he has us in our his hand, uh, and he has us in the Father's hand, and that is double protection. There's no way that we can ever get out. And so we're very thankful uh, for the words, the truths of that song. We are in 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6, I'm going to ask you to turn your Bibles there. We have three sermons left in our 1 Timothy series before we go into our next shorter series. Uh, but we'll be looking at 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses the last part of verse 2, all the way through verse 10. This letter, if you've been following along with us, is about the major problems that were going on in the city of Ephesus, the church of Ephesus. And Timothy was left there by Paul to put these things in order, to correct them. Major, major problems. And here now, that was the first century, and now here in 2020, we see that we still in the church have major, major problems. Every church across the world, across the United States, it, um, that is a Bible-believing church, is going to have some problems. Satan is going to come in and try to sow discord. He is going to try to mess with the leadership. He's going to try to mess with the doctrine. And so this is very relevant for us today, because how all of these problems are dealt with are with the Word of God. They're not dealt with with human wisdom. It's not getting a team together, and let's start to think about these strategies. It's dealt with with the Word of God, which is why all of us need to read the Word of God, study the Word of God, and then apply the truths of the Word of God to our lives. It is so important. And if you've ever read the Bible, which I hope you have, you will know that some truths are very, very easy to understand, and others are very, very difficult to understand. Today we're going to deal with what seems like a straightforward problem, and that is of false teachers in the church. But we'll see that it's more complex than we may have originally imagined. So, 1 Timothy chapter 6, uh, verses 2, uh, through 10, the end of verse 2 says this, teach and urge these things. If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teachings that accord with godliness, he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain, but godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into the many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. This ends the reading of God's word, and now we go to him because we are in desperate need to hear from him today. And this is a very important message. Would you pray with me? Father, <coughs> we thank you for your word. We thank you that you wrote it down for us so that we can access it. We thank you for um, how readily we can access it. We can access it on our phones, our computers. We can hold it, uh, a, a physical book in our hands. And yet with all of this, Lord, it seems that there seems to be a famine for hearing the word of the Lord. It seems to be so much false teaching, so much twisting of this, your precious word, uh, to fit our own desires. It's so sad. And so I pray, God, that you would bring us back to your word today. I, bring, I pray that you would give us discernment. God, I pray for these people here. I pray for myself. I pray, God, that we would be able to detect a false teacher and false teaching from a mile away. 
so that the, your truths, truths of your word will be preserved. And we thank you for your guidance, and we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Throughout the history of the world, uh, deadly diseases have ravaged humankind. Um, think about the, uh, in the 14th century, the infamous Black Death or Bubonic Plague. It was uh, said to be the deadliest pandemic that ever hit the world. And experts estimate that uh, between 25 and 200 million people lost their lives as a result of that. When you throw in things like cholera and diphtheria and malaria and other sicknesses that have ravaged whole towns and cities, you see that these things are very, very serious and very, very dangerous. In our own generation, we have seen such serious diseases such as AIDS, which has killed many people, swine flu, and now we're dealing with a current pandemic of the COVID virus, just to name a few. But even more deadly than all of those plagues combined is the plague of false teaching in the church. More deadly than all of those because those things can only kill the body, which is serious, but they can't touch the soul. False teaching can put the, someone's soul in danger of hell forever. It is very, very serious. And like the bubonic plague or like COVID, false teaching has a definite and observable pathology. Pathology is the study of elements of the abnormality of uh, characteristics of diseases. And uh, scientists study these things so that they can detect, so that they can recognize these abnormalities and combat against them, fight against them. And if you think about it, us in the church, not only the leaders, but every member of the church should be a spiritual pathologist to where we are looking at everything that is being taught and examining it and seeing if there is any error, is there anything in there that's wrong that can lead people astray. The teachings, as we will see today, are very, very sophisticated from false teachers. In fact, Paul warned us in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 13 through 15, of the, uh, these subtle dangers and these sat satanic lies. He said this, false apostles. Okay, let me stop there for just a second. There are many people today claiming to be apostles, claiming to have the exact same authority that Peter had and Paul had and James and John had. The same authority. That's what they're claiming. False apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end will correspond to their deeds. It takes careful discernment to see that the light, in some cases, is actually darkness. It takes great discernment when someone is presenting something that they're saying, this is the light, and it's really darkness. And we, as Christians, should be able to identify false teachers. But this can be hard to do at times, and so the first thing that I want to do before we get into this is I want to define what a false teacher is. All right, we need to define that uh, because we need to be very careful. And here's what I mean by that is because let's say that we just take this church. This church's stance is that when you baptize someone, you only baptize someone who is a believer, someone who has made a profession of faith in Jesus Christ, has confessed Jesus with their mouth, and therefore they are baptized. We would say that that is the true teaching of the Bible. However, there are whole denominations Okay, Christian denominations, brothers and sisters in Christ, like the Lutherans, like the Presbyterians, the good Presbyterians, um, that believe that the infants of believers should be baptized because they are covenant children and they teach and they preach these things. Now, we would look at that and say, I think you're wrong there. And if we're saying that they're wrong there, then we're saying that what they're teaching there is what? False, right? Therefore, would we call them false teachers and therefore a false church? And I would say no. Okay, hold with me for a second. 
Let's take another issue, such as tongues and the miraculous gifts of the Spirit. There are churches that believe that the miraculous gifts of the Spirit, tongues, have ceased. They're no longer in existence. They were for the early church. They're not for the, uh, the church now. There are other denominations and people that teach that no, they are just as alive today as they were in the first century. Let me just take uh, two uh, people uh, that I respect greatly. Uh, John MacArthur, a uh, great man of God, done so much for the church. He is a firm believer that the miraculous gifts of the Spirit have ceased. Okay? Tongues have ceased. And he would go so far, I believe, to say that anyone who is practicing or espousing those would be dabbling with strange fire. He would say that you're wrong. You're teaching something that is wrong. On the other hand, you have someone like John Piper, who believes that they are for today and teaches that they are for today. Would John MacArthur look at John Piper and say he is a false teacher? I don't believe he would. He, he wouldn't. What he would say, I believe, is that I believe that Piper got it wrong here. And Piper would say the same thing about MacArthur, right? He would say, I think I got it wrong here. But at the end of the day, their teaching does not cut to the core of the gospel. It doesn't cut to the core of the gospel. You might call it a secondary issue because when it comes down to it, the absolute essentials, the fundamentals, namely that God is holy, that mankind is sinful, and that the only hope that mankind has is found in the death and resurrection of Jesus, that only forgiveness is found in Jesus, only a righteous standing before God is found in Jesus, and only access to the kingdom of heaven is found in Jesus, they would agree on that. They would differ on these other issues, and they would even go so far as to say what they're teaching here is wrong, but they would come down to it and say it doesn't cut to the core of the gospel. So we might say, that a false teacher is one who intentionally or even unintentionally teaches things that are contrary to the word of God and cut to the core of gospel truth. Okay? Once again, this can be very easy to discern or it can be very difficult to discern. Okay, let's take some easy examples of what I think are easy examples. All right? A Jehovah's Witnesses, uh, Witness comes up to you and says, Jesus was a great man, but he was not God. Okay, clearly a violation of John 1, Colossians 1, Hebrews 1, which declares that Jesus is God. All right, I identify that and say that is a false teaching, cuts to the core of the gospel. You are a false teacher, and therefore your church would be a false church. Okay, or take, let's take liberal denominations today that would claim to be in the Christian faith, but what they've started to do is they've started to deny the authority of Scripture. It's not really the word of God. It's really the thoughts uh, of, of man. Um, and then they start to deny the virgin birth. They start to deny uh, the miracles of Jesus. They start to deny uh, the substitutionary atonement of Jesus. They still use the name Jesus, but they deny all these things. I would say that's an easy one. Those are false teachings that cut to the heart of the gospel. Therefore, that is a false gospel, and this is not a true church. Easy. But what about those churches that have an orthodox statement of faith? And you look at their statement of faith and it is Trinitarian, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, all equally God. Jesus Christ, fully God and fully man. Salvation in Christ alone, by faith alone. What about those churches that deviate from the truth of the gospel and declare things that are contrary to what the Bible says about God? Or what about that same church that begins to add things to the gospel uh, uh, to the extent that it, the gospel message is starting to be distorted to where it's no longer recognizable? It's covered up uh, under a bunch of stuff. Can we then characterize those churches and the teachers in those churches as false teachers? And I believe that the answer is absolutely yes. Yes, we can. And not only can we, we should. We should label them as false teachers. The other gospel that Paul talked about in Galatians 1, where he said, if anyone preaches another gospel, what they had done is they had taken the true gospel of faith in Jesus to say, yes, you believe in Jesus. Yes, absolutely. But you also have to be circumcised. And if you're not circumcised, then you're not going to get in. 
That is the true gospel mixed with something else that negated the true gospel. And it was no longer the true gospel. And that's why Paul says, anyone who preaches that, let him be separated, right? It's that serious. So, are there churches, denominations, or individual teachers that we can label as false teachers? Yes, there are. And I'm going to tell you what, it's not mean to do so, okay? Actually, it's loving to do so. We always do it with um, a gentle spirit and with love, but we are clear that no, what you are doing, what you are teaching is wrong, and it will damn people to hell. And so we urge them to stop. But I think that there are, uh, that there are areas where we as Christians um, need to have great discernment and exercise great caution. Throughout the history of the church, what has been done in the name of Jesus has been abhorrent at times. Um, the church has been known to really chew up and spit out its own. The church has really been known to fight against its own. I'm telling you what, you can just look at what's going on in the world right now and in the church. I mean, there's so much fighting that's going on. But the church is known to fight against itself and even to kill its members. Let me just give you one example from the 1500s uh, regarding a group called the Anabaptists. The, uh, what was going on at this time is that the Roman Catholic Church had really muddled the truth of the gospel for a very, very long time and had added a bunch of stuff on it. People didn't have access to the Bible, and so they had to believe what the, the church said, and the, the, the Roman Catholic Church had added a whole lot to it, and it distorted the truth. And then you got people like Martin Luther who came onto the scene, and they're like, uh, they're looking at the Bible, and they're saying, no. The truth of the matter is, is that we are justified by faith. That was the foundation of the Reformation. We are justified by faith in Jesus alone. And he preached that. And he held to that. And others started to do that. And other denominations started to, to spring up. The Zwinglians, the Calvinists, the, uh, 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 the Presbyterian Church. And they all started to come and they were in one accord. Kind of. And then this group known as the Anabaptists rose up and they looked at the scriptures. They looked at the Bible and they said, because what had happened is that the churches coming out of this, the Lutheran church and the Zwinglian church and other churches were holding on to the practice of infant baptism. They were saying that there's such a strong connection between the Old and the New Testament, that covenants in the Old Testament, that the children of believers were uh, circumcised in the Old Testament. Therefore, the, the children of believers should be baptized in the New Testament. They saw such a connection that they held on to that. And the Anabaptists were saying, I can't find a case of infant baptism in the New Testament. I can't find it. And so they said, I don't think it's right. And so some of them were saying, well, I was just baptized as an infant. And the Bible says, believe and be baptized. I need to get rebaptized. I need to get baptized again. And so Anabaptist means rebaptized. How did the rest of the church, the Christian church, the Protestant church respond? Well, they saw them as heretics. It became a capital crime to believe in believers' baptism. And those who believed in it and held to it were arrested and killed. And anyone who offered them shelter or food or showed any sympathy to them was as well arrested. And the Roman Catholics would burn them at the stake, whereas the Lutherans and the Zwinglians were a little bit more humane. They just drowned them or cut off their heads. People who believed, the Anabaptists believed that God was Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that Jesus was fully God and fully man, that the Bible was the authoritative word of God, that faith in Jesus Christ was the only way of salvation. And other people that believed that same core doctrine wanted to rid the world of them. They, they didn't just say, we think you're wrong here. They said, we want to kill you. The church has a history of fighting against itself. I saw a debate a couple weeks ago between two brothers in Christ. And this debate was what I consider over a secondary issue. And it got so heated. And you could see certain personal attacks starting to come. And there's no way that those two guys walked away from each other loving each other. 
They were angry at each other. Fighting. Fighting. Now, I'm not suggesting that debates like that shouldn't go on. Because it is important to get to the truth. Even those things that aren't core truth, it's, it's important for us to study those things and say, what is truth? But when we're in our debating, when we're debating these secondary and even tertiary issues, and when they start to cause divisions in the church and straight up fighting in the church, then we need to proceed with great caution at that time. Remember what Jesus said. Jesus, our Lord and Master, the head of the church, who purchased the church with his own blood, remember what he said. He has this whole prayer in John 17 that we would be one, that we would be united. That's what he wants from his church, that we would be united. And the Apostle Paul, if you read him, you'll see that he, was, he said, be diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And then if you've ever re read the book of 1 Corinthians, the letter that he wrote to the Corinthians, that church was messed up, right? Messed up. Their doctrine was messed up. They were taking fellow Christians to, to, to court and suing them. There was sexual immorality that, was, that Paul said, I don't even see the pagans doing this. And out of all of these issues, what's the very first issue that Paul deals with? Unity. You're fighting. Stop fighting. Unity is so important. Even James scolded the people that he wrote to regarding their fighting. I say all of this so that we are diligent to make sure someone is actually a false teacher before we kill them. Okay? Yeah, I say that kind of tongue-in-cheek, but Jesus said, if you hate your brother in your heart, you've done what? You've killed them. And there's a lot of people that I see, a lot of Christians that are killing other Christians because of their hatred for them. The point is, make sure that the issue that you are debating is worth dividing over or don't let it divide you. Have your discussion, have your debate, lay out your argument, but at the end of the day, make sure that you put your arm around your brother and sister and say you are a brother and sister in Christ. Or if it is an issue that cuts to the heart of the gospel, you say, I cannot consider you a brother or sister in Christ anymore. I have to depart. If you look at any of the family trees, especially if you look at like the, the Presbyterian church family tree, you will see so many branches because what's happening is that they're going along in the right way. And then someone starts to say, no, this is what we, this is what we should do. This is what we should, we should believe. The Bible, ah, it's just the thoughts of man. It's not truly the word of God. And people are like, no, 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 you can't believe that. You can't believe that. And they try to bring them back and they say, no. And then the minority is the only one that's holding on to the truth anymore. So what do they do? They break off and they form another church. Those are times when you have to do that. You have to say, I cannot. This cuts to the core of the gospel. I cannot fellowship with you anymore. I can't even consider you a brother or sister in Christ anymore. Make sure that it's worth dividing over because when we are divided, we as a church become weaker. We become weaker. Whether it's a local congregation of a small size like this or the church universal, we become weaker. Okay? Think about this. Think about the separate branches of the U.S. military. You have the army, the Navy, the Air Force, and the Marines. They all have separate tasks. Can you imagine if a world war broke out and they started to fight against each other? That's not fair. You guys always get to do this. You guys get to do that. And they start to fight. The enemy would sit back and laugh and say, we got this one, right? We got this one. People, we are in a battle for the souls of men and women and we're fighting. We're fighting because we forgot. We've, we've, we're not making the main thing the main thing. We're taking all these peripheral issues and making them the main thing. And our neighbors and the world is dying and going to hell as we're like, nope, I just proved you wrong to my brother. <laughs> come on, come on, we become weaker. What makes this issue of identifying and shutting down false teachers even more difficult is that Paul doesn't even state what the issue is here. He never says, this is exactly what they're doing. This is exactly what they're teaching. He makes vague re references to it, but he never says that this is what it is. The best that I can discern, and I've read many people on it, and they're all like, we don't know, you know, um, I think that this is what he's talking about. The best that I can discern 
is that it might have been something that they were dealing with in Galatia where stuff was being added to the gospel. Yes, Jesus, uh, faith in Jesus is essential, but also being circumcised. They were adding stuff to the gospel because Paul in 1 Timothy 1 says that they're talking about the law even though they don't know what they're saying. So it could be a form of that. Or it could have been a form of what is known as early Gnosticism. Gnosticism is this, this uh, people who claim to have a deeper knowledge of God, a, a, a knowledge that not the average person has. And this deeper knowledge gives them a, a greater insight into God and into his power. And whereas you're still stuck here, I have this deeper, more profound knowledge of God. Therefore, I'm in more in tune with God. Therefore, you should listen to what I say. So we don't know for sure what it was. But as I was thinking about that this week, maybe that was by intention, by God, right? Because maybe if God just laid it down, we would say, oh, that's what false teaching is. And then when stuff didn't look like that, we would say, oh, that must not be false teaching. Maybe God by intention said, I'm not going to tell you exactly what this false teaching was because I want you to know that false teaching and false teachers evolve. Satan is very, very clever at his deception. And he does not sit idle. He's not like, hey, I'm just there. You know, I've, I've laid down this false teaching. Good. I can rest for the next thousand years. No. His teaching is constantly evolving. And just when you think you figured out his deception, something else pops up. Or two or three other things pop up. He is very clever. We may not know exactly what this error is, but here in this passage and in other passages of the New Testament, Paul gives us enough to begin to lay the groundwork for how we can identify and shut down false teachers and their false teaching. And let me ask you this. Why is this important? I know that we're, all of you are struggling with something right? Uh, whether it be job issues, uh, whether it be the pressures of school, whether it be uh, marriage or child raising or health issues, and you're thinking, why? <laughs> Talk about something that's relevant. This is so relevant because if you do not know how to identify false teachers, then chances are that you are going to be deceived or someone that you love is going to be deceived. So it's very important for us to be able to identify them. Twice in the Gospels, Jesus warned of how sophisticated these false teachers are. Let me give you one. In Mark chapter 13, verse 22 and 23, here's what he says. Jesus, for false Christs and false prophets, once again, people, a lot of people claiming to be prophets, false prophets will arise and perform what? Signs and wonders. Wow. To lead astray, if possible, the elect. But be on guard. I have told you all these things beforehand. It's coming. They're going to be really clever. I've warned you. They're going to be so good. They're going to wow you with their signs and their wonders and their stories. Beware. Beware. Now, the beautiful thing about this passage that Jesus said is that uh, one of his true followers cannot ultimately be deceived right? He's holding on to us like the song said, right? We cannot be ultimately deceived, but we can be carried away in such a way that the results are very, very painful. And we may even, and this is the scary thing, that we may believe something and then start to teach it to someone else and actually spread a false doctrine, a false teaching. There are plenty of stories of people who have come out of supposed Christian churches who have recognized the error of those churches and they have lasting effects because of being in that church for six months, a year, a couple years. This is serious business. If it wasn't, then Jesus wouldn't have warned us so much about it and neither would have Paul and Peter and John and Jude. But it is. And so we get constant reminders of how serious this is. In our text, Paul lays down several characteristics of false teachers. I am not going to go into all of these. A lot of them have to deal with the effects of it, which causes division. A lot of it talks about the speculations that they have. That's a whole nother sermon uh, about uh, these speculative doctrines that they have. I'm not going to go into all that. I do want to focus in on the general statement in, in verse 3 and one of the motivations for false teachers as found in verses 5 through 10. 
In verse 3, he says this, that the false teachers don't agree with sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ. That word, sound, the Greek word that is used for sound there is where we get our English word hygiene. Okay? Hygiene refers to something that is healthy, right? And so when you're talking about uh, teaching, a hygienic teaching, if you will, a sound teaching is something that is pure and undefiled. So the general characteristic of these false teachers, you know what they do? Is they take the words of Jesus and they defile them. Notice that they don't just totally discard them. They're not like, ah, the Bible, forget that. Here's what I want to teach you. Ah, Jesus, he's, he's a myth. No, they talk about Jesus like they know him. They use his word like they know it and they know what it means. But they say, hey, I know that you've heard that this is what it meant. But let me tell you what it really means. Or they form a doctrine, a belief system, and then they take these precious verses in the Bible and they shove it into there. See, the Bible says this. And they use them out of context. They don't just discard the teachings of Jesus. They distort them. And as I mentioned before, Paul does not exactly tell us what these false teachings are, and I believe for the purpose of leaving it open so that we would be prepared for anything that comes. Anything that comes down that is contrary to the word of God. Jesus and his apostles said a lot of things. But if you boil their teachings down to the basics, what you get is this, that Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And if that's what his mission was, that's what our mission as his people should be as well. The gospel should be our primary message that people are sinners in need of a savior. And salvation of those around us should be our primary concern. And anything that is, anyone that is seeking, any kind of seeking after a deeper secret knowledge of God should be met with suspicion. Anything, any craving after power, I want more power, any craving after power should be met with suspicion. Anything that makes it all about us or more about us rather than about God and glorifying him should be met with suspicion. And any teaching, any teaching that focuses more on this life and maximizing the joys in this life rather than the life to come, which the book of Hebrews says is, the Hebrews 11 says that's what Abraham was really looking for. That's what they were all looking for. Anything that focuses more on this life should be met with suspicion. The world is passing away and everything in it. I would love to take the time to give you several examples to say this, 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 but we don't have time. But here's what I want you to know is that Satan is very skilled in the art of deception. He is very skilled and he has trained his followers very, very well. You've heard this illustration before, but I think it is a, it, one of the best illustrations I've ever heard regarding identifying false teaching. If anyone has ever worked uh, where they're handling cash all the time, maybe at a retail store or something like that, especially a bank teller, their, their employer may give them some instructions on how to identify a false bill, but the primary way that they identify a false bill is by handling the genuine thing all the time, right? When you're handling hundreds of $20 bills every day, when a fake one comes across, it just doesn't feel different. That's the first thing that grabs your attention. And then you might look at it and examine it. And what you should do for sure if it doesn't feel right is you don't just assume that it's right. You do what? You set it aside so that you can further examine it because what you might do is you might pass it along to someone else who might pass it along to someone else who might get in a lot of trouble for doing that. You have taken something's false that you didn't care to verify and you've given it to someone else and now they're in danger. The same is true with doctrine, with the teachings of the Bible. When you hear something, the best way to combat false teaching is to handle true teaching all the time, to be in the word of God, to be studying it, to know what Jesus said in context so that when false teaching comes, it feels a little bit different. It feels a little bit different than it did before. And what you do 
when this new teaching comes is that you set it aside and say, I'm not sure about this, but I'm going to take the time to examine it before I pass it on to someone else, right? And be in danger of passing something false on to someone else. You examine it. You make sure that it's true. You handle the word of God with truth. Jesus praying to the Father in John 17, 17 said this, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Jesus combated false teaching of Satan with what? The word of God. This is what the word of God says. The psalmist asked this monumental question, how in the world can a young man keep his way pure? There's so much messed out in there. How can he be going on the right path? And the answer that comes is by keeping it according to your word, your word. And if you look at Psalm 1, the very first Psalm that kicks it all off, the person who is blessed is the one who meditates on the word of God day and night. And that person is described as someone who is like a tree planted by streams of water. He is firm. He is unmovable. When the winds of false doctrine come around, he's not shaken by them. He's grounded in the word of God. And Paul in 2 Timothy chapter 3 Verses 16 and 17 said this, All scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. And included in those good works is the ability to identify false teachers and false teaching. And then in 1 Timothy chapter 4, if you're in 1 Timothy chapter 6, you can flip over to 1 Timothy chapter 4. I love this. He says this in verse 11, Command and teach these things. And then verse 15, he says this, practice these things, immerse yourself in them. Immerse yourself, take a bath in them until they cover you with the protection of the word of God, protecting you from error. And if we are to be protected from false teaching, we must immerse ourselves in the truths of scripture. So much so that when a new teaching comes down, comes on the scene in the church, and it's the new exciting thing, it's the new book, it's the new thoughts about God, that immediately we handle it like that $20 bill that feels just a little bit off, just a little different. And we set it aside, and we examine it. And if it is found to contain maybe just a little bit of error, and that we can correct, then we correct it and say, no, this is the truth. But if it's so filled with error, there comes a time where we just have to completely discard it and say that is not of God at all. Run from that. Remember the Bereans in Acts chapter 17? The Bereans were called noble. Why were they called noble? They were called noble because this guy named Paul, the apostle Paul and Silas come and they are preaching to them. And Paul is bringing them a new teaching, right? It's something that they never heard before. Jesus, the Messiah, He's teaching something new to them. And what did they do? They said, hmm, we've never heard this before. It's interesting. It sounds right. When you're done, we're going to go home and search this out, and we will see if it's right. And that's what they did. Isn't that awesome? They said, the Apostle Paul is teaching them. And they're checking what he is saying. And I love it because Paul in Galatians 1 says, even if I... Or an angel from heaven preached to you a different gospel than was delivered to you. Let him be accursed. Separated because it's not true. And so these Bereans took this new teaching that they never heard before and they examined it against the scripture. They examined it against the scripture. We all should be doing this. We should be doing this more than we are right now. Have you ever noticed there's a lot of people right now that are using phrases like, the Lord told me. The Lord spoke to me last night. The Lord told me. And I don't want you to be a jerk about this, but here's what I want to challenge you to do when the next time someone says that, is I want you to say, hold that thought, and I want you to go run and get your Bible, right? And say, okay, go ahead. Tell me what the Lord told you. So that you can examine it up against the scripture and see, is this really from God or is it from someone else? Because there's a whole lot of stuff being said in the name of Jesus that is not really in the name of Jesus. And I'm going to say this, when a preacher, any preacher, including this preacher, says this is what God says, your duty as a Christian, as a follower of Christ, is to go home and see if that's exactly what Christ said. 
Okay? That is what your responsibility is. Verify it. And let me say one more thing. Make sure that whatever they say, whenever they quote a verse, that it's in context. All right? Make sure that it's in context. What I mean by that is make sure that what they are saying the verse says is really what the verse says. Make sure of that. Let me give you an example of what I mean by that. I was watching a clip of a very, very popular and very, very hip pastor who is a pastor of a huge, huge church, has a huge following. And he was talking about, he was in his 11 o'clock service and he was talking about his 930 service. And he was talking about stomping the devil, right? And he was stomping the devil's head so hard in the first service that he said, in between services, I had to ice my heel because I bruised my heel because I was stomping the devil's head so hard. And then he said, do you know that the Bible says that he will bruise our heel and we will crush his head. And the crowd just roared like, yes, this is truth. And I'm thinking, oh my goodness, no, it's not. Granted that Romans 16 says that we will soon crush Satan under our feet. But that verse he's referring to in Genesis 3.15 is not about us. It's all about Jesus getting his heel bruised by Satan in the crucifixion. And in that process, Jesus crushing Satan's head. It's not about me. It's about Jesus. But he took that and he said, isn't this awesome truth? And those people would go home and say, you know what? Satan's bruising my heel, but I'm crushing his head. No, no, that's not what it's saying. Beware, beware. Paul does mention at least one definitive character trait that you can spot a false teacher from a mile away. And anytime you see this trait, Red flags should just fly up and say, whoa, what you're about to say, I am really going to examine because this is a character trait that I see in you. And that is the character trait of greed, greed, those who are always talking about money, those who it's all the, the pursuit of money. If a teacher is constantly talking about money and giving, especially while they're living a lavish lifestyle, you should proceed with great, great caution. Antennas should go up everywhere. Here in 1 Timothy uh, chapter 6, verses, uh, beginning in verse 5, here's what he says, that these people are described, he describes them as imagining that godliness is a means of gain. Gain, it's financial gain. But godliness with contentment is great gain. And then skipping down to verse 9, he says this, but those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Money, that pursuit of money. Now, I will stop quickly and say this. In First, in, in first Timothy chapter 5, one chapter early, or he does say that those who labor hard at teaching and preaching should be compensated, should be given money to do that. But these false teachers are all about the money. And they know that people are gullible. And they know that people are ready to open up their purses or their bank accounts if it will uh, promise them more power, more money in the end, more healing. They're willing to do that and they know that. And it's not anything new. The church has been doing this for hundreds and hundreds of years. And the reason I think that this needs to be highlighted because Paul, this is not the only time that Paul mentions their greed. And Paul is not the only one that mentions the greed of false teachers. Paul, if you have your Bibles, uh, let's look at a few of these passages. 2 Timothy chapter 3. So if you're in 1 Timothy chapter 6, you can uh, flip over if you have a uh, I was going to say a real Bible. Uh, if you have a physical Bible, uh, you can flip over to Second uh, Timothy chapter 3, or you can do a couple taps and be there on uh, your electronic Bible. But talking about these deceptive people, Paul says this in verse 1, 2 Timothy 3, but understand this, that in the last days there will come difficult times, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, lovers of money proud, arrogant, abusive. And he goes on. If you have your Bibles, turn to 2 Peter chapter 2. 2 Peter chapter 2. Peter is an apostle of Jesus Christ, once again writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and he has a warning as well. 
Second Peter chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, he says this, But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their sensuality, and because of them the way of truth will be blasphemed. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. They have hearts, skipping down to verse 14, says this, they have hearts trained in greed. Accursed children, forsaking the right way, they have gone astray. They have followed the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved gain from wrongdoing. It's all about the money. I will say whatever you want, as long as you're willing to open your bank account to me. Whatever you want. I'll make you feel as good as you want. Just give me your money. Finally, turn to Jude. Jude is uh, right before the last book of Revelation in the Bible. It's a very short book. If you turn a page, you might miss it. It's only got one chapter. So Jude, verses 8 through 12. And what we see is the same thing. Jude does not tell this is what their error is exactly. He just says this is what they are like. All right? And we see the characteristic of greed as well. Beginning in verse 8, he says this, But in like manner, these people also relying on their dreams. How many times do we hear that, right? I had a dream last night. Defile the flesh, reject authority, and blaspheme the glorious one. Skipping down to verse 11. Woe to them, for they walk in the way of Cain and abandon themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's error and perished in Korah's rebellion. These are hidden reefs at your love feast, as they feast with you without fear, shepherd, shepherds feeding themselves waterless clouds. Shepherds feeding themselves. That's what they are. And as I said before, when you see someone who has a lavish lifestyle asking for more money, your spiritual antennas should go up. And what you will find if you listen to them, I guarantee that this is what you will find. Most of them, you will find a whole lot of truth of what they're saying. A whole lot of truth. They're speaking the truth in a lot of ways, but what they do is they start to insert a little bit of error here and a little bit of error here. Undetectable, right? Peter said that they so secretly sow in these dece deceitful things. There's a lot of people in here that I've uh, actually gone shooting guns with, uh, shooting rifles with, and I remember one uh, a gentleman, we went there and we sighted in these guns so that we could go hunting. And when you're sighting in a gun, um, you know, you want it so that when that crosshair is on that bullseye, that it is hitting there every time. If it is hitting there every time, and you take this little knob on the side, and just do, let's say you do five clicks of that, I guarantee you will not see that scope move. You won't see that scope move. But if you try to shoot that target, that bullseye, it will not even hit the target. It will miss it. Just those little imperceivable clicks. And that's what happens with false doctrine. False doctrine, just a little different. Let me change it just a little bit. You didn't even notice it, did you? Sweet. Let me do it a little bit more. Didn't notice that one either, right? And then pretty soon you're not even hitting the target. You know how sin is defined in the Bible? Sin is defined as missing the mark, right? It's missing the mark. And this is exactly what the false teachers do. Just a little bit of heresy there. Just a little bit of heresy here. And then before you know it, it's huge, huge misunderstandings of the word of God. And these people, in the name of Jesus, begin to lead people away from Jesus. Oh, I love Jesus, I love Jesus. But they're not preaching the Jesus of the Bible. There's a ton more that can be said about false teachers, but the bottom line is this, that we should all be able to detect error. And the only way for us to detect error is by being in the Word of God and relying on the power of the Holy Spirit. To that end, let me remind you that you should be in Bible study. You should be in personal Bible study, and I believe that you should be in community Bible study as well. There are Bible studies going on throughout the week in this church. There are women's Bible studies, there are men's Bible studies, and there are group Bible studies, combined Bible studies. I'm going to give a plug for the men's Bible study right now. Uh, we are about to embark on a study of the book of Hebrews. 
uh, an inductive study. And the book of Hebrews is an amazing book. It's all about Jesus, how superior he is. It's like you heard about Moses, he was great, right? Jesus is better, right? You heard about Joshua, he was great. Jesus is better. And it goes back into the Old Testament and says, remember you learned about this? Here's how Jesus fulfills it. And so I'd encourage any men, uh, 6.30 a.m. on Wednesday mornings, you can join us. Um, and then there are other uh, Bible studies, like I said, women's Bible studies on Tuesdays and Wednesdays as well. But when it comes down to it, there's only one thing that matters, and that is what you do with Jesus what you do with Jesus. And the only true teaching that you can find about Jesus is found in his word, in the Bible. Satan has launched an all-out assault on the Bible. Satan, uh, the truth of the Bible is being questioned by those on the outside. We're saying you can't rely on the Bible, those who are unbelievers. Oh, it's just a bunch of myths. Nothing to prove it. There's, it's full of contradictions. And then it's also being attacked from within the church where people say, you heard about this. This is what you've heard for years that it says, but this is really what it means. And they're sowing in these false teachings and being distorted. And if we don't, as Jude 3 says, contend for the faith that was once delivered to us, then we will reach a point where the truth is no longer discernible and therefore no longer has the power to save. But we as Christians know that God will preserve his word and his infinite wisdom. He's called us to help in that regard. He's called us as his people to play a part in that preservation. Here's the last thing I want to say. Truth matters. Biblical truth saves. So know it, believe it, live it, preach it, defend it against all enemies from within the church and outside the church. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for who you are, Lord. And I, I pray, <laughs> I pray that all of us would be spiritual pathologists today. I pray, God, that we would be diligent to look into your word. Lord, there's no way we can study every single religion and every single uh, false teaching that's out there, but I pray that we would uh, be so diligent and study your word that when we hear something, that we would immediately test it to see if it measures up against the truths of your word. And if it doesn't, I pray that we would correct it if it's minor or discard it if it's major, Lord. Help us to do this. This is our responsibility. Preserve this, your church, and every church that holds to the authority of the Bible and the truths of Scripture. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.